Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. This next podcast is a conversation I had with Jonathan Weeks. He's a shamanic practitioner, a drum maker, and works with spiritual rewilding. It's fascinating to hear his experience of being with the drums, being with nature, and his passion, absolute passion for the land. He's very informative. He has a lot of knowledge on the history and our own particular lineage with shamanism. Um, it's well worth having a listen right to the end to see what he has experienced and what he's discovered along the way. You might even end up making a drum with him. Who knows? Jonathan Weeks, it's great to see you. It's been a long, long time, hey? It has indeed. It was up at that little festival up country somewhere. Um, and I did Yeah, a- Oak Spirit oh. Gathering. Which one? What was it? It was, it was named the Oak Spirit Gathering. It was that's the weekend right. residential there. Yeah, that's right. And you did a workshop there that Ben and I did with you. And it, it was either the Raven or the Crow. One of... Uh, it, it blended between the two at times. But I think the aim was to be working with the Raven and working with different, uh, yeah, different strands of mythology and practice of working with the Raven there. Whatever it was, it was great. It, it you know, it... I love I love those birds, those big black birds, um, and I have quite an affinity with them. And so I think you set me on a bit of a path there, and uh, yeah, really. yeah, really journeyed with that a lot. So it it made an impression, which is great. <laughs> Fantastic to hear. That's lovely. So where are you in the world at the moment? Where? Um, so I'm in just outside Canterbury. This here is Heron Drums headquarters at the moment. Um, but we're just outside Canterbury, um, over towards the back of us, we've got the River Stour flowing nearby, and it just goes through Stodmarsh Marshes, which is a, a nature reserve, so uh, not a long walk away from here, we've got all sorts of, of life dipping and diving around. And uh, wonderful. In, in naming and honouring the land, I like to kind of honour and acknowledge the rivers, but also uh, also naming that a long time ago, the what, where Canterbury gets its name was the tribe of the Kantiaki people. So the uh, the old Celtic tribe that would have lived here, that would have originally kind of lived down by the river, would have been the Kantiaki people. Do you so, feel uh, any affinity with them? Absolutely. I mean, we walk through the land here. Um, we've got 
kind of you know just just signs of kind of where the old hill forts are and some of the old roads are still the old roads that the people thousands of years would have lived and walked on um Canterbury is a place of pilgrimage and that's kind of connected to the cathedral but it goes far far older than that possibly even long long before the Kantiaki people um an old pilgrimage route where people would be following the deer trots but uh yeah there's there's thousands and thousands of years of life here and I believe it's always been a sacred place where the rivers well where the river opens out and you get all of these islands and uh Canterbury has held that for some people still I certainly do feel it here that's so so interesting and have you always lived there or have you come from outside? I've always for most of my life I've lived close to the River Stour and so because of that I feel a very strong connection to it I'm um, currently working on a cycle of ceremony working with the Stour at the moment as a lot of people are aware the rivers are getting a seriously hard time up and around the country um, and there are many many groups who are kind of looking to address that but uh, I work with my my magical ways and um yesterday i was over at the source of the river um to do some ceremony and gather some water there and then i'll be over the next week or so making my way down the river to ashford where i did grow up and uh, a, a few times was very close to the river there and i can remember playing in it when i was a kid um i think kind of the the biggest worry that we had then was um possible glass in the bottom of the the river whereas now it's kind of far more um serious what's kind of getting thrown and pumped into there yeah. um but for most of my adult life i have been in canterbury and at times yeah. then have had the stour pretty much at the end of the road for me so i'm more more to the river than the place but, right uh, right and where, where does the stour originate um the source of the stour starts from three pools that are in and around lenham it's uh, kind of a small village between Ashford and Maidstone. Okay. And it dips down then and comes up through Ashford um, and then comes up through Canterbury. And then it heads north and kind of winds out towards the coast there, just below Thanet. And so how does that, knowing the lineage of, of this, of the tribe that lived there, um, how does that affect your work, do you think? Is there a connection? It, there is. And I, I mean, I, I think what's what's really important in it is, is and what I share a lot is to do with connection to place and being connected where you are and connected with the land. And I think a lot of people's introduction to different spiritual paths um, have influences from kind of all sorts of corners of the world. Mm. And um, very early on in my work and my path, it was about, OK, well, this is the land that I'm on. How do I connect with that? And so understanding kind of the peoples who were here before and trying to kind of get glimpses into what their spiritual, what their spirituality was, what their cosmology was, what their way of seeing the world was, gives us an idea for me of how people who are living in an animistic way with this land, um, how that how that manifested and maybe kind of then working with those practices, it can be doorways back into kind of deeper connection with the land here. You know, you'll often find kind of me doing things if there's if there's a pile of stones in a field, whether they're arranged in a circle or arranged in a dolmen or something like that, that I'll uh, often be drawn to those places. My work and practice also is influences kind of that are kind of that reach around the world. But I uh, do look to ground it within traditions and, and ways of working that are rooted here.
great uh, so good and, and you talk about that the the this where you are at the moment this is heron heron headquarters you called it and for the, our listeners for those who can't see jonathan is sitting amongst shelves and shelves of drums and um little bags and some antlers and these ones are rattles over here oh, rattles yeah yeah, yeah. Those, those little mini rattles um, and some very interesting oddments and items, which I would just love to go and get my hands on. Oh, and there's the wing, black wing. That's yeah. It, yeah, get it. Beautiful. Uh, it's, it's 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 really stunning. I can almost smell the leather and mm. uh, oh yeah, such richness. And so the incense in the air at the moment. There's been some pine resin on the go, so it's uh, it's got a, a kind of a deep woody smell in the air. How long have you been making these drums and rattles and items? Um, so I began about 2011. So where are we now? That's 12 years now. Um, I first was introduced to the drum myself in my own spiritual path um, about five years before that, maybe 2006, 2007. Um, and at that time, you know, I was exploring different spiritualities and spiritual paths. And, and um, I would say, looking back on it, I was also starting to study psychology at university. So I think I was trying to fit it all together. And it was because of that becoming quite a intellectual endeavor of, okay, this, this is an interesting path and practice. How does that fit with this? And how does that connect with this? And trying to piece it all together. I did have a good practice of meditation, but one of the teachers that I was working with, Cheryl Ennis introduced me to the drum and that's, kind of relocated that spiritual center as it were from being a, a kind of an intellectual trying to piece things together to dropping down somewhere deeper and those who have heard the beat of the drum knows where that spot is in them um that drum kind of calls just an uh, and and just speaks to something deeper yeah um and so my work really really changed to be working with the drum because that connection connected me more deeply with myself it connected me more deeply with the groups that I was working with, you know, playing drums together with others. You needn't say anything, um, but it kind of connects and communicates something on a on a, a profoundly deep level. Um, but also in my work in connection with the land, the drum has been a kind of a really important part in kind of reattuning myself to that heartbeat of the earth. And so I, I the drum was continuously part of my personal practice and the work that I shared with others for years after that. Um, years later, I was taught how to make the drums uh, here in Kent with Lynn Gosney. And shortly after we began making drums, um, I was then a few years later invited to hold workshops around the country, doing some workshops around here. And people said, um, what would it take for you to come up to Liverpool? Or what would, you know, we've, we've kind of, there's a group of us up here in Edinburgh. Uh, or there's a group of us over in this place and heron drums really um really grew then to be sharing the art of of drum birthing with people far and wide right. and uh at the start straight away could see kind of new drum circles when people realized oh hang on a minute there's now a bunch of us living in driving distance from each other who have all got drums let's get together regularly yeah. communities of drummers kind of came together with that and, um, you know, with, with the different work that people do with their drum, whether they do shamanic practitioner work, whether they do sound bath work, um, whether it's for their own practice, um, mm. I can, uh, you know, feel quite happy that there's kind of thousands of more drums out there that, that we've had some part of um, over the years. Uh, 
that's great yeah i can relate to a lot of what you're saying that that especially that connection to the drum in our heart in our gut it's like mm. oh i'm home this is i need this this is such a big part of my existence really so when you were a child I and mean, what was what did you love then growing up what was what were the things that you were really interested in i kind of was quite excited about everything really and i think kind of you know at some points i wanted to uh, uh, be a secret agent and I'm sure at some points I wanted to be uh, a detective. Um, I remember, though, very commonly kind of something that kept on getting back. I thought that a serious career, a serious job when I was younger would be a park ranger. I thought there would be a lot more park ranger jobs around when I used to spend all the time in the woods. Um, even at school, when we were out on the playing field, I think we discovered um, uh, kind of a mole hole or an old mole hole. Um, when the ground dried up and it all cracked and we could kind of, you know, trace this along. I was like, okay, this is, this will be what I'll be doing when I'm older. I need to understand what's going on with this mole hole. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd love to say it was all just to do with kind of looking to be connected with nature, but it was kind of mixed and mashed with a few other things. But certainly, you know, time out in the woods, I was great. Uh, you know, great I'm grateful that I kind of was still growing up in a time where um, I could just clear off to the woods with friends for the day and come back when it's dark and uh, and and have that time out there and uh, it also being a time where you kind of you knew that somebody would be out at some point so you'd head out to the woods and even just being able to spend time quietly in the woods myself um was uh, still kind of a, 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 a common occurrence when i was out when i was younger um and yes, I was sure that one day, yes, all of these individual woods would need rangers or wardens or something like that, and that would be that would be uh, that would be a job that I'd be up for. It sounds great. I, I mean, just just talking about wanting to be a detective, and you know, like you, you, and, and then following the molehill. Well, there's definitely a link there. You know, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. But... Definitely very curious. Yeah, and it sounds like but it's that thing, isn't it? In the shamanic world, we have to have that innate curiosity for life, for the living, for nature, for whatever it is, for our own story, for our own existence, other people, you know, the journey that sh shamanism takes us on, the soul retrieval, it's it's all about being curious, hey, and having that innocent quality to us. So it sounds like you were very much adopting that and you had all the right tools to do the work that you do now, because isn't, you know, a, a shamanic journey, isn't that a like, bit like being a detective, you know? <laughs> So Indeed, yes. Looking, looking, you know, like what can I find there? Being curious, yeah. There's a lovely kind of simple metaphor of going down the molehole as well. <laughs> there you go. The journey down into the earth. Well, exactly. That's that's part of it, isn't it? The lower worlds and and the upper worlds. All of that. It's all so connected to to nature. So, what did you actually end up doing? You didn't become a park attendant, I take it, or I I didn't know, and I um I'm sure I would be very happy kind of doing that if I found a kind of a way to be a park attendant. Um, I uh I kind of was always doing multiple things, but uh, kind of primarily, I I mean, as I mentioned, I went off to study psychology. I then went off to teach psychology, and I taught that for several years, and also explored psychotherapy and counselling, yeah. um, training uh, as as well with that. I was always teaching and working with the different spiritual practices and working with the drum. And uh, slowly over time, um, happily kind of as it goes, you know, it sort of became a, uh, if, if you like, a paid hobby for a short while. And then it became a part-time job and I kind of cut down hours teaching and then it became a full-time job. 
Um, and now Heron Drums is known kind of up and around the country and, and beyond kind of happily for, for people who are called to this work one way or another. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it's yeah, it's grown and evolved in that way. So that, that, that's really cool. And, and, and everything that you've described about your career and your study puts you, it gives you the tools and the quality needed to do the work you do now. Hey, you're working with groups. People go on deep journeys, don't they? They need a safe container to hold them in that. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the kind of the uh, psychotherapy and counselling work that I was doing was with it in mind that actually the drums connect people with something quite deep within themselves. And actually a lot of what this, the facilitation we're doing around that is is holding people kind of during whatever starts shifting and moving and and um, reconnecting or whatever during those those processes so it's uh it's all been very much in, entwined with that so are these primarily drum making workshops or do you do other kinds of work um a lot of my work is is as heron drums drum making work um more broadly and generally um i do i i have moved away from over the past in the past where i have held what we would put it in inverted commas kind of shamanic practitioner training and kind of some form of that mm. um and that has evolved kind of slowly over time i sort of think that now is really uh maybe less the time where we all need to be shamanic practitioners and more time more the time where we all need to be sharing and connecting with the skills that help us reconnect uh with all sorts but with the land in 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 a serious way um I mean, one of the things that I'm very aware of with the drums when I say that it kind of connects us is that a lot of a lot of what we uh, find ourselves called to different spiritual paths with and for now is in response to what I kind of talk about as being the sickness of society at the moment with, of disconnection, that we are kind of grossly disconnected from ourselves. And that's something that, you know, psychology is there looking to explore and understand in, in some ways. We are massively disconnected from one another and, you know, the, the way that communities are shaped now is completely alien to how they were a couple of hundred years ago and how they have been for us for uh, all the time that we've been walking this planet, where we are far more individual and disconnected uh, rather than, you know, intertwined within community. And we are so disconnected from the land. We are disconnected from a sacred relationship to the land and, you know, the different environmental crises that we're seeing and, and biodiversity crises that we're seeing at the moment is the kind of the products of that we wouldn't be doing what we're doing to the land if we still loved it and saw it as kin and family and um so a big part of my work at the moment is the, the different ways in which we can work to kind of reattune ourselves to the to the rhythms of the earth get back into a sense of sacred relationship how we can weave an animistic see way of seeing the world back into our lives and uh kind of you're supporting kind of all of those folks who are doing that in different ways and sharing that work in different ways um there is the kind of the political edge to that which is that uh comes under the term of sacred activism and so i do share ceremonies often kind of direct action or within campaigns or for people who are involved in larger scale or long scale pro uh, protest work and campaigning work to help them process and work with 
what it is that's moving and shifting because you know that's that in itself is absolutely necessary work but um takes a massive toll on the on the soul talk about the body but on the soul as well um so a lot of my work uh in and around what i do with the drums is is about weaving those things back into back into place what what what's um incredible work and much needed in society and when you talk about the the dis-ease and and the sickness within society these days and the detachment we have um you know for people living in a in in, in a town in in a block of flats with very little money without much um resource for themselves you know how do you how do you talk to them about this sort of thing like if there is no land for them to go and explore, no woods to take their children to play in, if there if there is so little for people in society, what what hope is there for that? I I talk about things in terms of the wild spirit. I believe that that wild spirit is still kind of there, alive in and throughout the land, no matter how much we trim it back. And you know there may be people who live right out in the countryside but still aren't seeing and kind of still aren't kind of you know dancing with that wild spirit out in the land even i mean a lot of people i've i've kind of during lockdown started delivering kind of a lot of this as online um courses and there were a lot of people who um were joining in from cities you know one of the things wanting to connect with that wild spirit of nature but i'm mostly stuck in my house or a 30 minute walk around or can't travel too far and I live in the centre of London. You know, even within those places, you've got kind of those those wild edges. You've got kind of area where the weeds are kind of pushing on through. And, you know, they're not there. They're not tamed. They're not being uh, kind of raised or kind of grown in that area. They're just kind of pushing through. You've got, you know, for London in particular, there was the Thames. And the Thames is kind of, you know, is unstoppable in that way, in its in its power. It is still wild there. And wherever you are kind of looking up, the wisps of cloud that dance and move they don't do that to how anybody asks them to or anybody tells them to and all of those are kind of ways where we can see that wild spirit around with us and connect with that and go okay well how's that moving within me and I look to share ways for people to sort of step out of the the kind of the rhythm and pace that we're expected to be in in this in, in, in the kind of society that's built around us that requires us largely to be in that very agitated fight or flight um, mentality. We've got to be looking for kind of, you know, streetlights flashing a certain colour to be alert to or a little red notification bubble popping up somewhere or something like that. We've got to be really focused on all of those things for ways that we can slow that rhythm down and mm. get far more into the pace and the rhythm of the, the natural world around us. To get kind of back into tune with the rhythms of nature and and have a sense of where we are within the rest of the world and where we are in terms of the time of the day and how the moon's doing at the moment and what's what's kind of moving and shifting kind of in the space that we're in starting to yeah really kind of get connected to the land that you're on um and start to kind of weave a kind of anim- animistic sense of that and we we do that through shamanic practice of journeying we do that through uh storytelling we do that through um far more animistic practices of of kind of building up a sacred reciprocity giving offerings and and kind of building 
beautiful sacred spaces in honor of the the wild spaces in, in the land around us so i mean a lot of those things kind of you know that it, it can just be you know that you can get down to a park bench maybe down the road from you that there is something that's kind of grown wild there around the side of it and that's your kind of a space where you can kind of connect with that and that may also echo something in our own lives that actually gosh maybe it's quite hard to kind of be so free and uninhibited when we live in a city maybe we do have to work by the clock because we've got to know when the bus is coming because that's the only way we can get somewhere and all things like that but maybe that little kind of uh twisted bit of vine that's kind of coming up the the leg of the the bench at the bus stop is kind of that wild spirit that's still kind of twisting and and growing and kind of uh, uh, reaching kind of there within us and that's kind of ways we can tune in with that and let nature be that teacher and guide well, i really love what you're doing here with the the podcasts is it's a a, a bringing people together with different ways of working so that kind of you know actually it all becomes kind of shared and connected it, it, it's very true we are quite isolated in some of the things that we do aren't we and I think when it's your soul's calling and it it's not necessarily um community it, it's community offerings but it's community of the soul is like sometimes lacking we don't have our elders sitting around encouraging us necessarily or holding the space for us to grow within that so where are you going with this do you feel that you've come to a, a place where this is what I'm doing for life this is this is my soul work this is you know this is important enough for me to just keep going with it or do you think there's going to be any changes or adaptations as you maybe include more people or community or is yeah. there where you want to see this grow um, I mean, I think it's always evolving. So far, it has always been evolving, kind of my work and what I share and what I do. Um, and, uh, you know, I can, one of the things that I just started doing with Heron Drums is a, uh, a, a facilitator training, as it were. Um, I know that I'm probably not going to have the stamina to kind of go up and around the country all kind of forever in terms of sharing the drums. And there's a lot of people who are interested in, in doing that who will be offering um their own magic within the, the 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 ceremonies that they hold with it so um later on this year i'm starting with a group supporting them through that journey for kind of learning how to hold those workshops and as kind of time goes on i can see that meaning that fantastic there's a, there's many more kind of people sharing this out and around and um it means that my well, with what I'm sharing can come that can kind of move and evolve yeah um and yes I kind of I I do see that the recent kind of uh evolution and change of my work as it were to be responding to the times that we're in and I do like I say I've, I've gone from sharing facilitator training uh sorry practitioner training um for shamanic practices to sharing that in a way where it's more about learning how to be connected with spirit and work with that connection in, in with different practices as well as um generally opening our kind of spiritual connection to to the land and where we are that's again evolved to 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 what i refer to as spiritual rewilding reconnecting ourselves to that wild spirit of the land um I hope that kind of, you know, situation evolves where 
again there'll be more people sharing that and that's kind of then um continuing yeah and, and more people doing that work and that becoming kind of second nature and then something yeah. else may reveal itself to what i can be sharing i love that idea of spiritual rewilding that that just that's like music spiritual rewilding that's that's wonderful do you know one yeah, of the I mean, that, go, go on sorry oh no i was just going to kind of elaborate on it but did you yeah, going to ask please something do. please do no go on oh okay so i mean yeah it, it, it's just the sense that at the, at the moment you know one of the things one of the biggest challenges that we have and even for those people who are wanting to explore shamanic practice is that you know we we have not been brought up in a world that that teaches us a relationship with nature we we for for many reasons culturally have largely lost that over centuries and and i kind of i really think that's that's the really crucial starting point and just like you know our land is kind of largely been depleted in many places because it's cut back for forestry or for farming for grazing up on the hills and you've got these these kind of bare areas of rock that used to be forest and actually so now they're looking to replant forests and uh reintroduce animals at once there well hang on let's let's also kind of you know plant those seeds for ourselves and reintroduce those practices and approaches of what and ways of seeing the world that do reweave uh, an animistic way of seeing the land that do teach us and so we know ways that we can um reattune ourselves with the land and i i think that's a crucial starting point for more mm. shamanic practice shamanic practice within a, a culture that's very individualistic and very separate and disconnected and yeah. produces a shamanism that that sort of is 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 echoing that or repeating that model model yeah. um whereas you know what shamanism and shamanic practices shamanic journeying teach us of that interconnectedness with the web of life and let's see how we can kind of reshift our ways of being and our ways of seeing so that we can also be honoring and respecting that interconnected web of life mm. um and within that you know that's kind of what i i do and share within the the work of spiritual rewilding a lot of it is retuning and refocusing um a lot of what i've been teaching over the years within shamanic practitioner work um with a a focus of kind of what i strongly feel are kind of the the present day needs Mm, yeah uh, brilliant yeah I really relate to so much of what you share there and then there is one controversial kind of inquiry around the word shamanism and the fact it's not an it's not an English word it's not native to our lands it is from other lands Asian lands and and that you know what what are your thoughts around that and is there something some way of adapting more <clears throat> were drums part of our heritage what have you learned about that so yeah that kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. okay yeah there's a couple of points that I can speak to on there um I I'm aware of kind of the I think anyone who's kind of been involved in this for for a while is aware of the different arguments that there were around the use of the word shamanism hmm. um I personally I think that the way that the word has come into usage here um with it being a long time ago, with it kind of arriving from an academic sense and then has kind of become popularized, um, 
it means a kind of a wide load of different things. And I think we are kind of more recently fine tuning it. It has gone for a period of time where it's been related to anything sort of um, uh, indigenous related and earth centered. So a lot of people kind of, you know, incorrectly associate it with North American traditions. Mm. People are, are slowly realizing that, okay, it's a specific sort of um, spirituality or practice and, and uh, relates to specific practitioners from certain places in the world who journey to connect with the spirits and they're involved with healing or or getting guidance for the community in terms of use of the word i do use the word and for me it it seems very much like the word tattoo for example the word tattoo has its origins from indigenous peoples and relates to a specific sort of body art where uh, which has massive cultural significance and importance um yet it was a word that entered the culture here a long time ago and has transformed in its meaning when somebody says that they've just got a tattoo last weekend nobody thinks that they've got kind of you know a, a sacred maori initiatory tattoo um yet we do kind of use that word and i do think shamanism is is very similar what shamanism means within our culture is different to what it means in um for the event people and and the people in siberia um but in the same way as wherever in the world you're talking about it whether it be in uh, the kind of the indigenous communities with tattoo we are generally referring to some sort of body art in the same way with shamanism we are still referring to some sort of spiritual practice that involves communication with spirits and probably relates to bringing through healing and guidance um so i do still use the term because i think it's you know it is part of kind of our language now and it has been part of our language for a long while being clear on what we mean by it is important and i think it's important to kind of qualify it if you're talking about i'm referring to traditional say for example tibetan shamanism or i'm talking about uh, Amazonian Quechua shamanism, or I'm talking about Sami shamanism, or as many people will, I'm talking about what is largely a, a contemporary Western practice of shamanism. Um, kind of being clear around that so it's not confusing. That's that's um, really great, yeah. Taking the confusion out of it. It's really important, isn't it? So that people know how to how to be with it, how to understand it for themselves. I mean, I use the word shamanism myself. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always recognize how clear I need to be. And sometimes what I'm doing is is simply soul work. Um, yeah. it, it's not it's not actually rooted in what shamanism originated as, you know, what what it what it really is, you know, trance, working with spirit guides, as you say, you know, um, and that that art of repetition. So, yeah, it, it's it is being clear, isn't it? And and so with the drums, the question is. Were we always drummers? I, I love this and I've been looking at this for years um, because when I was tracing the story of drums, I mean, we often associate them with North American traditions, and but we see them all around the world in different places. Mm. And I have long asked the question of what were the drums in this land? Um, in Europe, the Sami peoples in Scandinavia, the drum is a very key part of their shamanic practice. And what we usually refer to as the frame drum of the or the shamanic, shamanic drum with the, the frame drum um, held on the back and, and played with a beta. The example that we have in these aisles present day is the, the Irish Balrog. Mm. And uh, that's more associated with folk music nowadays. 
but it wasn't always so. And digging out old books on it, kind of some from the early 1900s, talked about that it only really was introduced into folk music in the 1850s. And there was this beautiful line in the book that said, before that, it was only used for ritual purposes. So that was a little line in in a, uh, this this book that I came across on on Celtic music that I got very excited by and wanted to go and dive deeper to find out what those ritual purposes were. And there's a number of community uh, rituals, as it were, that go on. One that uh, example is around St Stephen's Day. Um, I think I've got that right. St Stephen's Day, Boxing Day, we'd call it here. Um, there would be the Wren Boys Parade. And they would go through the town playing the drum. There's a, a Christianized version, which it's scaring away the wren. Um, there's another, an older version, which is that it's scaring away the spirit of the year past and shooing that from the, the village. There's other areas where in Ireland where there's versions of it where it's about chasing the queen of the fairies back into the sea. So there's no more mischief in the in the village for the year. And from others who kind of have strong family lineages of kind of traditional ways there in Ireland, they talked about the Balron as being a way of talking to the fairies and communicating with the fairies. And that's, I love the idea that, okay, there is an example here in these lands of the drum being used to speak to the spirits of the land. But that's a particularly Irish kind of series of examples. But here on, on kind of on this island, um, the drum has a similarly interesting history. We don't see it so much figured in history, this sort of frame drum, because on the big tapestries or big oil paintings, it was always the instruments of court. So you'd have trumpets and you would have, uh, if you did have drums, there'd be this sort of the military style drum, which is a style that comes more from a French tradition. But the drum was an instrument of the common folk. The people out in the fields who were separating the wheat from the chaff would often have a animal skin stretched around a round hoop that they would use as a sieve. And around these areas where I am, it would have been known as a riddle drum because it's there for riddling the the, the grain to kind of separate it. Down over Cornwall Way, it would be called a crowdy crawn. And in other places, it would be a dolan and a wept. And there's some names that come from uh, Scandinavian languages. So probably a Viking influence on those there. But they would have been the instrument of the common folk. If we were if communities that are based around working around the field, some point in the year you'd use it for the grain, other times of the year it would be an instrument. And you know, whether that be community singing of songs, you know, is one thing. But we do know of old practices going back to Anglo-Saxon times here, of beating the bounds, where somewhat similar to that idea of kind of, you know, chasing out the spirit of the year past. Um, People of the community would go around the edges of a parish, I guess it's kind of what it would become. Um, And they would be playing the drum just to kind of mark that boundary to keep the bad spirits out and to kind of keep it, the community safe from those bad, tricksy, uh, troublesome spirits. And it's uh, been interpreted in some ways that, oh, this was a good way so everybody knew what their kind of parish boundary was so that if anybody started to try and move in on that, they know, actually, no, we're, we, we, we live up to that hill or up to that tree or something. But actually, it's a direct kind of way of connecting with the spirits of the land and communicating with the spirits of the land to go and drum, to call, with the, call to them with the drum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, that goes right back to Anglo-Saxon times 
all through the time where people were kind of working um, working on the land in the fields, drums will have been present. And we know that even right up to the more recent time of the cunning folk and the witches and the wizards, um, before the burning times, that uh, the drums were part of um, part of their practices, whether that be for drumming up spirit, raising spirit, raising energy, um, or whether they be used in some sort of divinationary practice as well. So uh, it's uh, I, I kind of would love to kind of um, keep on deep diving into that and pull together a history of the the, the drum here as a uh, magico-religious tool. And uh, yeah, I hope to kind of flesh out some more, more details from our past here. A lot of the drums that we play have, again, their origins in traditions from around the world. The styles of drums that were once here um, have either been lost or been homogenized into this uh, Irish Bowron style, which is far more um, suited and tailored towards folk music. And so, it, you know, we have a lot of people working with drums in the same way as I do, um, that are crafting drums in ceremony in styles that have their lineages back to First Nations people. So just to honor those peoples that uh, are of, of my lineage, to go back to North American traditions, the style is um, very much of a coastal Salish tradition, Northwest USA, um, kind of West of Canada. Um, and the, the teachers that have passed that on have been of Osage, Ogallala Lakota and Mingo. Uh, heritage that have passed that on um, and you know I honour those lines that have kept those traditions alive in in their lands in under kind of great difficulty but um, having the grace to pass that on so that you know we may have these powerful tools that just with a few beats can bring us back into connection with ourselves and with each other and with the land in a time where we're really um, where it's really crucial that we do yeah and how important do you think it is that we we find what is part of our own lands rather than you know there's all that talk of you know taking from other nations and using it over here it it, it how important is it that we really do find what is ours to do in in this community on this landscape i th i think it's incredibly important um one of the messages that i like is one that's shared by um matt mccartney um, to do with you know go and find your own ceremonies and that kind of goes in two directions for me I think the kind of the full quote is you know we have shared our ceremonies with you but now go find your own ceremonies yeah. that works in two ways of rekindling and reawakening old ceremonies that we know here but also um, creating authentic ceremonies that speak to the people that we are here and to the land that we are here and the the journey that we are on collectively here you know, we are, I, I do think that a lot of our work is healing this, this ancestral wound that's there through from different times. And um, that's something that isn't just for each individual to do for their individual bit of the wound, because it's shared by us all. It's something that runs through us all. And ceremonies that we have where we can really genuinely, authentically connect with the land that's here. Um, and build that relationship with the land and um, are crucial. And as I mentioned before, the reason why I do draw on a lot of um, inspiration from old traditions here is because 
we're not the first people to look at to to stand on this land and and look for ways to connect with it and and experience the magic of it and if we can draw on those old traditions maybe we can draw on that wisdom of those ancestors maybe those ancestors will whisper in our ear and share a message with us and share some guidance with us maybe they'll lead us to a pathway that leads down to the waterfall where we can go and hear that song of the waterfall in the way that maybe people did in the olden days here and that we can journey through those waters into other worlds and 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 have you know truly magical connected um relationships with the land that we're on such magic jonathan that you you talk and and it's so rich i mean i really feel like there's such a richness to what you have to share and what you offer um where can people find you um the uh ones that i've mentioned heron drums is um is the main one and that's uh whether that be on the website um, drop us an email or Instagram or Facebook. Um, the other one that I'd mentioned was spiritual rewilding. And uh, similarly, that's spiritualrewilding.co.uk. They're both .co.uk, herondrums.co.uk. Um, but also spiritual rewilding, there is the Instagram page and there is the Facebook page. All of them, you can drop us a message and get in touch and, and connect with us in there. Amazing. I, I'm sure people will be fascinated to to work with you to they can come and make their own drum with you hey or organize a workshop with absolutely you. yeah and and that's a real gift hey to do that in community and what, mm. one of the things that I, I i love my one connection i had with you my drum had uh, i'd made my drum some years previously and um and and it it, it broke i i had an accident mm. with it and it broke <clears throat> and i got in touch with you as somebody close by saying oh you know i've got this problem that they, it was actually the hoop that had broken mm. and I thought I was going to have to pack it up or bring it to you and but I did buy a, a new hoop from you which is lovely um but the, the the real gift to me at that point was that you said you can do that yourself you can fix it yourself yeah you need a new hoop but you can mend it and it was <clears throat> I'd made it in a group previously and I'd had some guidance but you know you saying that to me was so encouraging and so yes I can I've, I've just got to soak it and I can stitch it back together of course I'm capable of doing this and and that that was a real gift it gave me um a real sense of encouragement and um yeah just that self-esteem confidence I guess mm -hmm. in being able to do it myself so I really appreciate that you you did that because I had my own little ceremony then with my drum and we mended our little circle together and you know pulled yeah. us back together and um and that was very, very special on me packing it up in the post or driving, you know, however many miles yeah. it was and that sort of thing. It's like people can make their own drums, can't they? They don't have to go to a shop and buy one, for example, um, which I always think is a bit of a soulless thing to do. It's actually really important to make your own, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, people are called in different ways to be working with working with drums. One thing that's really beautiful with, uh, with birthing it is you can be working with and weaving that that prayer and intention in there you know we we talk about them we've often we're kind of and in this conversation we've talked to them very much as thing as things um but the language that i often use is talking about the spirit of the drum yeah the drum is very much alive and uh, very much has its own spirit and it's not a thing that you're making that you're going to use it is a friend that you're beginning a relationship with yeah and uh 
So in, in starting that day in ceremony, in making the drum in ceremony, um, you're starting that that relationship in an honourable way. Yeah. And with with a drum when it's uh, broken and needs to be rebirthed, I mean, it's particularly with the hoop, I always um, I always talk about that as being, you know, the hoop has a join on it and that's where the piece of wood starts and ends. And that's when that breaks, that to me kind of, you know, could be a mirroring of uh, a cycle in life that is ending, the kind of breaking of an old cycle. So that that opportunity to rebirth the drum onto a new hoop is uh, also a chance then often to kind of put those prayers into that new cycle, to honour that old cycle that was as the kind of the the old hoop is taken out and rebirth the drum onto the new hoop and and in that way kind of welcoming that into into joining you on the new cycle it so was totally, uh, it was a complete new beginning of my life you know it, it was i just moved house i had uh, I, I'd, I'd come here to a place a, a place i didn't know before um, i had left a, a big organization and i was going it alone in my life and so yeah and my my drum is it's always here at my side. Um, she's always wrapped in her blanket. She's a living, breathing thing, as far as I'm concerned. And you know, I, I think I mentioned once in one of your posts that I, I get so upset when I see drums just sort of slung down on the floor next to somebody, or you know, hung on the walls. I, I mean, I've got two old drums hanging on the walls, and they they seem quite happy up there. But my the drum that I'm I actually work with now, she's wrapped in her blanket. She's in her bag. She she's like so close to me and I, and I feel a real affinity with her she's made from an old horse skin um many years ago and and yeah that that was that's just part of that journey for me is that we work together we are kindred souls in a sense so yeah I I've um I've had quite a journey with her yeah thank you so much for coming onto this podcast with me and and sharing your amazing knowledge about the drum, about the land, about spiritual rewilding. And I, I really hope some of our listeners come and connect with you and that maybe me one day, maybe I'll come and uh, do some work with you. And uh, yeah, it'd just be nice to come and see where you are and visit some of that land. That would be really lovely. So um, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been really lovely spending this time with you. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a great day ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.